Section 6 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett Montgomery. The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. The Country Cousin. Chapter 4. It was new and awful to Hetty to have neither father nor lover to turn to in her desolation. She got over one terrible week, and then, when the old man was fairly under the clay, she broke down and fell ill, and Sib nursed her. Primula hung about the house, feeling guilty and uncomfortable, and Anthony came sometimes to ask how Hetty fared. He brought fruit and ice for her, offering them timidly, and Sib accepted them gladly and poured out her anxiety to him, all unconscious that there was anything wrong between the lovers. Primula sulked at Anthony, who seemed to be thinking much more of Hetty than of her. The old bookshop was closed for good, and the Spencer's happy little home was already a thing of the past. Hetty thought she would be glad to die, but people cannot die through mere wishing, and so she got better. When she was able to rise, Sib carried her into the little sitting-room and placed her in her father's old armchair, and seated here one warm summer evening, she sent to beg Anthony to come and speak with her. Anthony's heart turned sick within him as he looked on the wreck of his once-adored Hetty. Her wasted cheeks and hollow eyes made a striking contrast to Primula's fair, smooth beauty. Yet in her spiritual gaze and on her delicate lips there still sat a charm which Anthony knew of old and still felt, a charm which Primula never could possess. "'We are not going to talk about the past,' said Hetty, when the first difficult moments were over. I only want to tell you that Primula and you are not to look on me as an enemy. I am her only living friend, and this is her only home. She shall be married from here, and then we will separate and meet no more. You are too good, he stammered, too thoughtful for us both. Hetty, he added, hesitatingly, I dare not apologise for my conduct, nor ask your forgiveness. I can only say I did not intend it. I know not how it came about. She bewitched me. Hetty bowed her head with a cold, stately little gesture, and Anthony backed out of the room, feeling himself rebuked, dismissed, forgiven. He went to Primula, and Hetty sat alone in the soft summer evening, just where they two had sat a year ago, planning their future life. She is too good for me, thought Anthony, as he walked up the street. Primula will vex me more, but she will suit me better. Still, he felt a bitter pang as he told himself that Hetty's love for him was completely gone. Of course it was better that it should be so, but still, he knew well that Primula could never be to him the sweet, enduring wife that Hetty would have been. He knew also that his love for Primula was not of the kind that would last, whereas Hetty would have made his peace for all time. Well, the mischief was done now, and could not be helped. He hardly knew himself how he had slipped into his present position. When Hetty found that she had indeed got to go on with her life, she at once set about marking out her future. She had a cousin living on an American prairie with her husband and little children, who had often wished that Hetty would come out to her. And Hetty determined to go. She sold off the contents of the old bookshop, only keeping one or two volumes, which, with her father's unfinished manuscript, she stowed away carefully in her trunk. Primula had given up her work at the dressmaker's and was busy making her clothing for her wedding. Hetty was engaged in getting ready for her journey. The two girls sat all day together sewing. They spoke little, and there was no pretense of cordiality between them. 
Hetty had strained herself to do her utmost for this friendless creature who had wronged her, but she could find no smiles nor pleasant words to lighten the task. Pale and silent, she did her work with trembling fingers and a frozen heart. Primula, on her side, sulked at Hetty, as if Hetty had been the aggressor, and sighed and shed little tears between the fitting on and the trimming of her pretty garments. In the evenings, Primula was wont to fold up her sewing and go out to walk, with Anthony, supposed Hetty, who sometimes allowed herself to weep in the twilight, and sometimes walked about the darkening room, chafing for the hour to come which would carry her far away from these old walls, with their intolerable memories. So Hetty endured the purgatory to which she had voluntarily condemned herself. Anthony came into the house no more. Primula had her walks with him, and sometimes it was very late when she came home. But Hetty never chid her now. Primula was her own mistress, and could come and go as she liked, from under this roof, which her cousin's generosity was upholding over her head. One evening, a gossip of the neighbourhood, one who had known Hetty in her cradle, came in with a long piece of knitting in her hands, to sit an hour with Hetty, and keep her company. "'And so they do say you were going to America,' she said, "'all alone, that long journey, and everybody thinking this many a day that it was you that was to marry Anthony Frost. And now it is that Primula.' "'People did say, my dear, that they have treated you badly between them, "'but I couldn't believe that, and you behaving so beautifully to them. "'Of course it shuts people's mouths to see the girl stopping here with you "'and preparing for her wedding,' said Hetty. "'I cannot take the trouble to contradict idle stories. "'Anthony Frost is a very old friend, and Primula is my cousin. "'It would be strange if I did not try to be of use to them.' "'Of course, of course, when there's no reason for your being angry with them. "'But all the same, my dear, you'd have been a far better wife for him "'than that flighty little fool that he has chosen. "'He has changed his mind about many a thing, it seems, "'for he has taken a house in Smokeford, "'and is setting up as a cabinet-maker "'instead of turning out a sculptor, no less, "'as some people said he had a mind to do. "'Well, well, it's none of my business to be sure, "'and I do hope they'll be as happy as if they had both been a bit wiser.' "'I see no reason why they should not be happy,' said Hetty determined to act her part to the end and the gossip went away protesting to her neighbours that there never could have been anything but friendship between anthony and hetty there's no girl that had been cheated could behave as she's doing said the gossip and she's as brave as a lion about the journey to america and after this people found hetty not so interesting as they had thought her some time ago the time for the wedding approached Primula's pretty dresses and knick-knacks of ornaments were finished and folded in a trunk, and she arranged them and rearranged them, took them out and tried them on and put them back again. She went out for her evening walks, and Hetty waited up for her return, and let her into the house in the fine starlight of the summer nights, and the two girls went to bed in silence, and neither sought to know anything of the thoughts of the other. And so it went on till the night that was the eve of Primula's wedding. On that night Primula went out as usual and did not come back. The arrangement for the next day had been that Anthony and Primula should be married early in the morning and go from church to their home. Hetty intended starting on her own journey a few hours later, but she said nothing about her intention, wishing to slip away quietly out of her old life at the moment when the minds of her acquaintance were occupied and their eyes fully filled with the wedding. She did not wonder that Primula should stay out late on that particular evening. It was a beautiful night, the sky a dark blue, the moonlight soft and clear. Hetty wandered restlessly in and out the few narrow chambers of her old home, once so delightful and beloved, now grown so dreary and haunted, and saw the silver light shining on the roofs and chimneys and on the dead flowers and melancholy evergreens of her little roof garden. 
Only a year ago she had cherished those withered stalks with Anthony by her side, and they had smiled together over their future in the glory of the sunrise. Now all that fresh morning light was gone, the blossoms were withered away, and her heart was withered also. Faith and hope were dead, and life remained with its burden to be carried. She shut her eyes from sight of the deserted walls with their memories, and thought of the great world-wide sea, which she had never beheld, but must now reach and cross, and she longed to be on its bosom with her burden. The hours passed, and Primula did not return. Hetty thought this strange, but it did not concern her. Primula and her lover and their affairs seemed to have already passed out of her life and left her alone. She did not go to bed all night, and she knew she was waiting for Primula, but her mind was so lost in its own loneliness that it could not dwell upon the conduct of the girl. The daylight broke and found her sitting pale and astonished in the empty house, and then her eyes fell on a letter which the night shadows had hidden from her where it lay on the table. It was written in Primula's scratchy writing and was addressed to Hetty. "'I am going away to be married,' wrote Primula. "'Anthony and you were very good to me once, "'but you were too cold and stern for me lately. "'The person I am going with is kinder and pleasanter. "'I am to be married in London, "'and after that I am to be taken to travel. "'When I come back I shall be a grand lady, "'and I shall come to Smokeford, "'and I shall order some dresses from Miss Flounce, I can tell you. "'I am very glad that Anthony and you can be married after all. "'He was always thinking of you more than me. "'I could see that this long while back.' I hope you will be happy, and that you will be glad to see me on my return. Your affectionate Primula. Hetty sat a long time motionless, quite stupefied, with the letter in her hand. Poor little ungrateful mortal, thought she. Heaven shield her and keep her from harm. And then she thought of her own little cup of life happiness spilled on the earth for this. Oh, what waste, what waste, moaned poor Hetty twisting the note in her fingers, and then she straightened it and folded it again and put it in an envelope addressed to Anthony, and she hastened to send it to him, lest the hour should arrive for the wedding and the bridegroom should come into her presence seeking his bride. When this had been dispatched, she set about cording her trunks and taking her last farewell of Sib, who was too old to follow her to America and was nigh heartbroken at staying behind. When the last moment came, she ran out of the house without looking right or left, and she was soon in the coach, and the coach was on its way to the seaport from whence her vessel was to sail. When Anthony received the note, he felt much anger and amazement, but very little grief. Primula's audacity electrified him, and then he remembered that she was not treating him worse than he had treated Hetty. Let her go. She was a light creature, and would have brought him misery if she had married him. Her soft, foolish beauty and bewitching ways faded from his mind after half an hour's meditation, and Anthony declared himself free. And there was Hetty still in her nest behind the old bookshop, as sweet and as precious as when they were lovers a year ago. The last few months were only a dream, and this was the satisfactory awaking. Hetty's pale cheeks would become round and rosy once more. She must forgive him for the past, so urgently would he plead with her. How exceedingly badly he had behaved! Anthony put on his hat and went out to take a walk along a road little frequented, eager to escape from the gaze of his acquaintance in the town, anxious to think things thoroughly over and to consider how soon he could dare to present himself to Hetty. Not for a long time, he was afraid. He remembered her stern, pale look when he had last seen her and how sure he had felt when turning away from her that her love was dead. A chill came over him and he hung his head as he walked. Hetty was never quite like other girls, 
and it might be, it might be that her heart would be frozen to him for evermore. Just at this moment, a cloud of dust enveloped Anthony, and the mail coach passed him, whirling along at rapid speed. Hetty was in the coach, and she saw him, walking dejectedly on the road alone with his trouble. She turned her face away, lest he should see her, and then her heart gave one throb that made her lean from the window and wave her hand to him in farewell. He saw her. He rushed forward. The coach whirled round a bend of the road. Hetty was gone. End of section 6